Get ready for another term at Rydell High with Michelle Pfeiffer and Maxwell Caulfield. and rock and roll in Greece, too. Hello, and welcome to Unloved Sequels, the podcast that brings you a blow-by-blow critique of Hollywood's worst-rated sequels. You know, the ones that some people think should never have been made. We're your hosts, Michael, say hello. Hello, hello, hello. And I'm Claire. In this episode, we're doing it for our country in the hopes of bagging a cool rider. Michael, it's back-to-back musicals this month, but in case anyone hasn't worked it out yet, tell me more, tell me more. We are back at Rydell High for a new year of teens played by horny 20-year-olds with more cheese than some day-old nachos Found at your local bowling alley. This is Greece too. Oh. I apologise for all the songs that you're going to hear from Claire. I don't know if I'll, they'll end up in the final edit, but I don't know what you mean. <laughs> God help us! You've all. been singing more than me so far while we've been prepping for this. I You've done way more this. singing than I yeah. have. This is differences. I know the words. I never know the words to anything, but you've always said that I make up my own words, but they always fit. You're very good at making up, but you should be a lyricist. The, the words you make up always make sense. They're never the words that were written, but they do always make sense. So let's see what you come up with. What what could Grease 2 have been if Michael had been the lyricist? We'll, well find out. I don't know. More than this box office, I hope. So, Grease 2 opened on June the 11th, 1982. It made 15.2 million against a budget of 11 million. So a big. So that's not including your promotional and tours and premieres. So that's just that that's going to be that it was a loss. It was a box office flop. Adjusted for inflation, that's about 45.5 million today. So if they kept that budget and made that much money, it'd be better for them. Just for uh, contrast, Greece in 1978 made 366.2 million against a budget of 6 million. So they doubled the budget. 300 and something million for the first one. 366. 15 million for the sequel. sequel. They doubled the budget and made less money. I think Mm. that end scene with the hula, 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 the, um, the beach prom party thing. We go together, that scene. Yeah, but in this one. <laughs> Except uh, for this movie. Yeah, because you got in the first film, they probably made went to a carnival and just rented the carnival for the day and went around playing on all the toys and stuff. Well, this one, they built a pool and I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that's your budget. That's really shit that it made that much money. Mm. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a breakdown on what the world of movies like back then. So two weeks before Grease 2 came out, Rocky 2 was really what was a huge box mm-hmm. office success. The week before Grease 2 came out, Star Trek 2 and Poltergeist came out. Okay. The week that Grease 2 opened, E.T. came out alongside it. Shit. The following week after Grease 2, 
any of the musical came out. So this was a yeah. crowded That'll do it. period. And <laughs> like audience that Greek people that went to go and see Greece, they probably outgrew that franchise because by that point, the people that were into Greece grew up in that period of time when Greece was supposed to be set. By the early 80s, those group of people were then becoming parents. Mm. And if they get to go to the movies once in a period of time, they're going to take their kids to go and see E.T., what was the biggest movie of all time at that point. Yeah. So you're not like the world is going, oh, you can watch Grease 2 with none of the original cast apart from Frenchie who gets cut, cut off halfway through the film. Or you can go and watch E.T. from Steven Spielberg, the director of Jaws. Yeah. And experience. Yeah. Uh, you know. And if you're into movie musicals, Annie's coming out next week. So... What had just come off you know, of and this West was a End time... and Broadway run. So it exactly. Was... And this was a time when people couldn't go to the movies every week. You know, you you going to the movies was a treat because you couldn't yeah. get like cinema passes like you can now and just go and see as many movies as you like for 10 bucks a month or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, going to the movies was an outing. And there was less and you movies. You would not go all the time. There was less theatres. It wasn't it wasn't until the early yeah. mid-90s that we had theatres everywhere. So it was a period of time where, you know, people, a lot of people in small towns and places around the city had to drive to a major city to go and see a movie. Yeah. It wasn't common. But for if you wanted everyone. to see Annie or if you wanted to see E.T. or if you wanted to see any of those other movies, you were not going to go and see Grease 2 as well. No. No. Especially because like... that, you know, people didn't have the kind of expendable income. No. To go and just see a movie for the sake of it. You'd have to really want to see the movie. And all of those other movies, you would want to see more than Grease 2. I feel like we're getting back to those days when no one has that, that available income to just randomly spend on stuff like going to the movie theatre. Especially a No, they don't. Well, form. everyone just waits for it to come out onto streaming now and does it that yeah. way. Because you think you've already paid for that. So, And, it's such a and then you can pause now. and go for a wee whenever you like, which is really nice when you're middle-aged. All right. Well, maybe not for you. I can hold my bladder for two hours. You can't. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Your time I will have, come. <laughs> I haven't given birth to two children, so that probably does Neither's my husband, so what's his excuse? It's probably too much gin in the evenings. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. So... It currently sits at number 658 in the all-domestic, all-time sequels box office, sandwiched between Friday the 13th, Point Eight, Jason Takes Manhattan, and Child's Play Free. Oh, Jesus. So, Bloody hell. Those classics. It, it's just like sandwiched <laughs> between these two random films. But it's also at number 84 in domestic musical box office, just in front of Chorus Line. The, the Michael Douglas Chorus Line. This rate's higher. Yeah. Then the Michael Douglas Chorus Line. It made line. more money Fair than enough. Chorus Line. So these are okay. domestic box office. So it made more money than a Chorus Line. But okay. Greece, but Greece is at number eight. So, well. Yeah. Other great movies that were released that year was Raider of the Lost Ark, Tootsie, An Officer and a Gentleman, Arthur, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Now, there's a good musical. Chariots of Fire, Tron, Victor and Victoria, and Blade Runner. That was a hell of a so busy there's year. Some punchy movies in there. And like you say, there's some strong musicals as well. Yeah, it is. Rotten Tomato score, this currently sits at 35% critics and 53% audience. I like the face that Claire is pulling. It's kind of like grinding yeah, her teeth. Yeah, that's my kind of like, <laughs> it sounds low, but actually, is it unfair? Normally at this point we go, oh, that's harsh. And now I'm like, mm -hmm, is it? I don't know. 
We'll work yeah, it out I, as we I, talk. I, I think the critic score is really unfair. I think the audience Yeah, score... critic scores tend to be low for these sorts of movies because critics yeah. are snobs. Ooh. Well, no, they are. We talked about this before. Oh. Criti- I mean, and also it's their job to look at, to view things critically rather than yeah. to sit and enjoy a movie. You know, mm. the audience is there to just sit and have fun and, and have a good time and enjoy the movie. The yeah. critics are there. It's their job to pick holes in it. And this is a movie that if you wanted to pick holes, there's plenty to be found. So I can kind of understand it. But it, yes. You I mean like the um, the athlete Schultz when he's running, he thought he had holes in his underwear as he was running. I Did didn't pay as close attention to that as you, weirdly. You, have that you not seen something that? that I picked up on my notes. But have you not? There's so much stuff online about it because it's got a famous scene when they're doing the athlete stuff or whatever they call it, field sports. Yeah, track. Track. That's the word. That's sports the word. is not Michael's area of expertise. No. <laughs> when they're doing track, there's a guy doing the hurdles. Look, I'm looking at Claire for like. Yes. Where they're jumping over. They yeah, jumping they jump over. over. Jump over. But he jumps over, and as he jumps over, all his genitals pop out the side of his leg. Is that this Every- movie? Yes, this is this movie. I've seen this. I've yes, I've seen this go around so many times. That's this movie. Yeah, did you not see it in the movie? I must have blinked and missed it. And I should, then you watched it in HD. I'm surprised <laughs> it's on screen for quite a few seconds. We've talked. We've talked about this clip before. Then I'm sure we have, but um, not in the not in the podcast. I mean, like in our lives. Yeah, <laughs> like in our normal everyday conversation said- about people's junk in movies. <laughs> I think it's just as the twins run across the track field to get Michael to offer him to play the piano for the talent show. Oh. Yeah, no, I've we've we've talked about this clip before, and I just completely missed that it was this movie. I beg your pardon. That's I'll go okay. back and relook, relook and just check. We'll share the link. <laughs> Probably get bad on yeah, Twitter. So if you want to see some random eighties junk in short shorts, <laughs> uh, Claire, do yes. you have any behind the scenes facts for us? I do, I do. Of course I do. So, Grease 2 has got um, quite a lot of returning cast, but not in significant roles, particularly. <laughs> <laughs> it's slightly weird. So, we've got um, the, the most well-known returning player is uh, Didi Con as Frenchie, who we see quite a lot in the early stages of the movie. And then, as you mentioned earlier, she kind of disappears halfway through, and I'm going to talk about how that came to to be the case in a little while. Um, But she is back. We have got, we've got the core kind of school staff back. We've got Eve Arden back as Principal McGee. We've got Sid Caesar back as Coach Calhoun. We've got Dodie Goodman back as Blanche, the school secretary. We've got Eddie Deason back as Eugene, which confused me a little bit. I was like, why is he the one character from Greece besides Frenchie who's back? Um, And then I did a little bit of digging around and it turns out he was a freshman in the first movie. Did you realise that he was a freshman in the first movie? I think they're grabbing at straws. I think they're just anyway, like... Anyway, turns out that boy was that... When I say boy, I mean grown-ass man, was playing a 15-year-old in Greece. And so he's now a senior <laughs> in Greece too. <laughs> I know, right? Um, we've got Dennis C. Stewart back as Craterface. That's another random, like, why is he still around? When I hate we were, that when I was watching. Name. I hate that Craterface, I know. It's not... I'm. I'm using the name because that's the name that he's referred to in the movie but it's it's very unkind because it's not even like um, they made him to look cratery that was his natural complexion I know, that's his actual face so they must have cast him and then gone 
I know what we're going to call you. Yeah. And we've got Dick Patterson back as Mr. Spears in this movie. He played Mr. Rudy in the first film. I guess it's probably the same character, just with a different Mm -hmm. name. And there are a few supporting cast who, I guess, a bit like Eugene, were probably like background freshman characters in the first movie. And they've kind of been elevated to not quite um, full greasers, but they're kind of a bit more prominent in this movie than they were in the first movie. In terms of new cast... Obviously, most of the principal cast is new. I'm not going to go through all of them, but we've got uh, Maxwell Caulfield coming in as Michael Carrington, who is Sandy Olsen's cousin from the first movie. So Sandy, the Australian character from the first movie, her cousin is the British character in this movie. In fairness, now Michael and I have had quite a lot of conversation about this, about why is why is one cousin Australian and one mm. cousin is British? Why didn't they cast an Australian actor or why didn't they get Maxwell Caulfield to do an Australian accent or something, something, something? Like, it's weird. Yeah. And then it occurred to me that, and you must find, I don't know if you find this living in America. I went to America, gosh, over, over 10 years ago now for a friend's wedding or a friend of my husband was was getting married and his wife is Australian or she speaks with an Australian accent and a lot of she grew up in Australia a lot of the guests at the wedding were either British or Australian and we went to a diner me and a couple of other friends while we were over there the waitress in the diner who was lovely said to us oh I just had some guys in who I guess must have been your friends they sounded exactly the same as you they must be from the same place they were the bride's Australian friends She couldn't hear the difference between our British accent and their Australian accent. So I think probably the early 80s Australian uh, American filmmaking market would have gone, fuck it, they won't notice. I think. Yeah, but but they point out in the film that he's British. That's true, because he's on English Exchange. Yeah, I get people ask me every day, go, are you Australian? And I go, no, I'm British. Yeah, I think there was just a point at which they were like, fuck it. They could have just said it's. Sandy's cousin, end of conversation. And no one ever known any difference. But the, but the point yeah. is, because they pointed out, went, oh, you're from England or Britain. I can't remember what they said in the movie. But they pointed out that he was from England. Yeah, it's, so weird. It made, it's weird. Anyway. Weird. Yeah. So he is in as the male lead, Michael Carrington. We've got Michelle Pfeiffer in one of her earliest film roles as Stephanie Zanone. We've got Lorna Luft. This is, was actually her first kind of movie role, but she was quite famous prior to this um, from stage work and from vocal performing obviously daughter of Judy Garland uh she plays Paulette I always find it funny that people always when they go to talk about her they always go I've watched loads of stuff on Greece and they go Judy Garland sort of but they never say Liza Minnelli's sister and you think in today's terminology people are more likely to know who Liza Minnelli is than Judy Garland is yes yes so yes she is Liza Minnelli's half-sister because Liza Minnelli also Judy Garland's daughter. Yeah, I guess, well, I suppose I'm, that my reference is Judy Garland, even though obviously I love Liza Nelly as yeah. well. The movie's directed by Patricia Birch, who has no other particular credits as a, a movie director. She did a few Cindy Lauper music videos, but she was choreographer on the movie and stage productions of Grease, which is how she came to be working on this movie. The movie was written by Ken Finkelman, who also wrote Airplane 2. He was writing Airplane 2 and directing it at the same time that he was writing Grease 2, which might explain a lot. He also wrote Who's That Girl? He wrote the TV show The Newsroom. Um, Obviously, we've got the original characters by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey, so they get a credit because some of the characters have carried through and obviously the, the, the universe of the movie has carried through from Grease. 
the original music in the show is written by um i'm going to pronounce it lewis st lewis because he's american so i presume they would say lewis rather than louis he was creative music consultant on greece on the original movie yeah so he had the connection and then was commissioned to write the original music so the co-producer of the original Grease movie, Alan Carr, had a deal with Paramount Pictures. He was going to be paid $5 million to produce a sequel with production beginning within three years of the original film. Carr then decided to hire Patricia Birch as the director because she had been choreographer on the first movie and on the stage production of Grease. She was initially a bit hesitant to accept when, when she heard that the original composers, Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey, were not going to be involved. John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John were not going to be involved. She was a little bit hesitant, but she did, in the end, sign on. Paramount tried to get Jeff Conaway and Stockard Channing, who were uh, Knicky and Rizzo in the original film, to come in and do cameos for this movie. And originally, actually, the earlier plans for the movie was going to have their characters coming back as main characters while they went to summer school. At the end of the first movie, I think it's Coach Calhoun says, as they're all driving off, I was going to say into the sunset, floating off into the sky. Coach Calhoun says something about see you at summer school, which they kind of crowbarred in at the end of that movie as a potential sequel hook, but without it kind of being too heavy a setup in case the sequel didn't happen. Yeah. But obviously the movie was such a huge success that they did press ahead with the sequel. And the original plan was going to be to have Kanicki and Rizzo kind of as the, the, the main characters, because having flunked high school, they had to come back to summer school to make their grades for whatever was going to come next for them. But that didn't happen. And then there was talk about them doing cameos, which also didn't happen. Um, Stockard Channing at this point had kind of semi-retired from movies. She was focusing very much on her theatre career. She was also 37 at this point. (laughs) So we were pushing our luck in the first movie, casting her as a teenager, but Mm -hmm. um, bringing her back at, at 37 to play an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, however old, I think might have been stretching things a little bit too far. Patricia Birch had suggested an idea to have John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John reprising their characters for a little sequence towards the end of the film, again, as cameos. They were going to be a married couple running a gas station. I don't know how that was going to be worked into the plot. And then Travolta was going to have a song to sing called Gas Pump Jockey. Uh, But that also did not happen. You're pulling a face. The thought gas of John Travolta singing jockey. a gas station. I suppose, well, if they, because she worked at a gas station, didn't she? So I suppose they would have been the owners of the gas station. Well, bring me back to the other question. I was going to bring this up later, but now you've started this question is, why mm. are they such a bunch of assholes to Michael when they do, when they all should know that Michael is Sandy's cousin? You would think in a realistic world, they would have all accepted him into the T-Birds and the Pink Ladies would accept him because they were related, he was related to the most famous Pink Lady in the and the most famous T-Birds. And that's what annoyed me. You would and, think. And how would she not know if that would make no sense of them being the gas station owners and then Michelle Pfeiffer's character working in the gas station? That would be Well, really, maybe that's really... why it didn't happen. Yeah, that would have been... Maybe like, that's well, one of the reasons it didn't come about. Because, yes, you're right, it would have been really weird, that whole... every the, the, the scene with her at the, the gas station when he pulls up on the bike, that would have been very weird if... Sandy and Danny had anything to do with that, I suppose. So, yeah. Anyway, so Timothy Hutton was originally announced as the male lead, but Maxwell Caulfield caught the eye of the producers. Um, 
after his performance in Entertaining Mr. Sloan off-Broadway. He'd also, he'd already been on Broadway with roles in The Elephant Man and with Entertaining Mr. Sloan, and so that he, he caught the producer's eye and they wanted him for the movie. Michelle Pfeiffer was relatively unknown at that point. She was only 23. She was a bit of a wild card choice, but uh, according to Birch, she won the part because she has a quirky quality you don't expect. And to be fair, I, I like her in this movie. I really like her. I she denounces she's, she's it, good though. In the role. And she doesn't talk about it, but I like her in it. <laughs> she's a bit like, oh, I didn't make that, that wasn't me. But I think mm. she's great. So the film was made over a 58-day shooting schedule in the autumn of 1981. According to the director, the script was still not complete when they started filming. So there were a lot of scenes that were were filmed and then ended up being cut, including a scene where Frenchie helps Michael become a, a biker. There was a sequence. Um, there was going to be a sequence with Michael and Stephanie flying off on the bike at the end, very similar oh, to the God. ending of Greece. That got cut, which is, I think is a good thing. Yeah. But also because of the script not having been finished when filming started, this is how we ended up losing Frenchie halfway through the movie. So they they started filming the script that was written. And then as filming went on, the script got finalised and handed in. And Frenchie wasn't in the movie anymore. But they'd already filmed with her. So rather than go back and reshoot without her, yeah. they just made the rest of the film without her. And she she walked out of a scene and was never seen again. There's no real explanation of why that was the case. Hmm. But I guess, I mean, there might have been a contractual thing that because she, she'd filmed the scenes, they maybe had to use them. But even if that wasn't contractual, I suppose you, the amount that she is in, if you've made that much of the movie, to then go back and reshoot it. She, yeah, I mean, Frenchie, there was quite a lot of exposition from her at the beginning of stages of the movie. You know, what that little break in the middle of back to school again, where... um Frenchie explains to Michael or rather explains to the audience through Michael that, you know, he's Sandy's cousin, Sandy and Danny have graduated and this is what the status quo is at the school now. And I suppose to go back and reshoot that without Frenchie would probably have needed time and money that they just didn't have. So they kept in the bits they'd filmed of her and then they just made the rest of the movie without her. And I guess just, again, hoped no one would notice. But but I just don't understand why they just couldn't film one scene at the final hula hula dance with just got her in and just gone, I've qualified, I'm going off to make cosmetics and done like a I know, because the thing is, of all the characters that you want a happy ending for in either of these movies, yeah, it's Frenchie. Frenchie deserves her happy ending. And I do feel bad for her that, I mean, she kind of got it at the end of the first movie because everybody got a happy ending. But, you know, it would have been nice to see her actually fulfil her dreams. Because yeah. she was so close. And then they just were like, oh, no, she's not in the movie anymore. Got a new yeah. script. She's not in it. So, yeah. Tom Cruise auditioned for the role of Johnny, the, the leader of the T-Birds. <laughs> but he was passed over because the director wanted someone older and taller. Now, I'm not being funny, but the guy that ended up playing him was not particularly tall. No. <laughs> so, but I guess they probably in terms of height comparisons with with Michelle Pfeiffer and with Lorna Luft, who that character was paired with. Yeah. And Lorna Luft's quite tall, I think. So, um, yeah, that that would have, I suppose, been imbalanced. Andy Gibb, younger sibling of the Bee Gees, was auditioned to play Michael, but mm-hmm. he failed the screen test. Cher initially signed on to play Paulette, which is the part that Lorna Luft ended up playing. But she backed out 
on the basis of the salary being too low and the issues with the script not being finished. So she walked. Wise. <laughs> Wise woman. Yes. She'd have been wasted in that part as well. Lorna Luft is great in that role. And I'm sure Cher would have been great, but I think she would have been wasted. I would have been more like, I'm Cher, where the fuck is my solo song? Yeah. Well, she'd have had one, I'm sure. Yeah, that would have been. I'm sure she would have had one if it had been her. Jennifer Beals signed on to play Sharon Cooper, Mm -hmm. but dropped out to to be in Flashdance instead. And um, singer Kim Carnes, who did Betty Davis' Eyes, she was offered the role of Stephanie, but declined. Debbie Harry was also offered that role and also declined. Um, she felt like she was too old to play a high schooler, which she was, but yes. so was everyone else. So I'm not sure how much that would have mattered. Interestingly, mm-hmm. Jean Sagel and Liz Sagel, uh, the twins, they were hired separately at different auditions. And it wasn't until they both rocked up on set that the director, director realised that they'd hired identical twins. And so changed the roles to make them twins in the movie. They'd just been completely independently auditioned and hired. Oh, jeez. I know. I know. And nobody noticed that they have the same name and they look... Maybe they thought it was the same person. And two people made the phone calls and was like, yeah, check, check, there's a headshot, done. Yeah. Yeah. So originally, this was going to be the second instalment of a franchise. They had big plans for this property. There were going to be four movies... And a TV series. And obviously, after the the performance of this movie, the franchise got scrapped. But Disney got their hands on the script for the third movie. Do you know what it became? Can you guess what it became? High School School Musical. Musical. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, High School, which kind of makes sense. Like, it's it's that generation's Greece, I suppose. No, it is, 100%. Um, And obviously, Maxwell Crawford's career did not benefit particularly from this movie. He was kind of hired on the basis that this film was going to make him the next Richard Gere, the next John Travolta. He had mm-hmm. these great ideas of how his career was going to kind of flourish off the back of this. And it didn't, it just didn't pan out that way at all. He said, when Grease 2 flopped, nobody would touch me. It felt like a bucket of cold water had been thrown in my face. It took me 10 years to get over Grease 2, which interestingly and- did not happen with Michelle Pfeiffer. No, he's so bitter about it. Have you watched interviews with him? I haven't. He's bitter. He he says he's bitter. Well, they didn't get on anyway. No. They they quite famously didn't get on particularly well on set. So I can imagine if he saw her her career go in one direction after making this. And to be Mm -hmm. fair, I don't think her career went the way it did because of this movie. No. I just think she's in this movie and then her career took off. I'm not sure those two things are connected. Oh, no, it was definitely Scarface. She was very lucky she got given Scarface before I think even Grease 2 came out. So mm. I think she was cast before the box of results of Grease 2 yeah. were aware of. And Had by that then not been the case, cast, it might have been quite different. different. Um, Scarface was huge. It was a massive film. And she, you know, it went on to launch her career because not many people saw Grease 2. So <laughs> it really affects her true. career. So, Michael, what's... What's your deal with this movie? What's your background with it? What? How do you feel about this film? So when I was younger, like with a lot of sequels to well-established franchises, 
the shittiest sequel in those franchises were always shown on TV a hell of a lot more during the 80s than mm. the actual main original movies because it was cheaper for the TV production, TV station to buy the rights to show movies. So like things like Jaws of Revenge was shown a lot, Sister Act 2. And yeah. Well, we've Grease talked 2, about this in other episodes as well, haven't we? Yeah. And with Grease 2, this was shown all the time on ITV. I remember watching it quite a lot on ITV during like the summer, like on a Sunday afternoon. And I think I was just exposed to Greece too more as a kid than I was Greece. Mm. And I just like the way it also takes itself a little bit less serious. You know, it's more tongue in cheek. It hasn't got the reputation of the show. You know, the the Greece yeah. the movie is changed from the show production of Greece. So I think Greece divides a lot of people with who likes the stage production more than the movie production. Mm-hmm. With this, it's kind of like a sling clay, so you can go into. And I think it's because it hasn't got a reputation. I think Greece 2 has grown into this cult phenomenon over the last couple of yeah. years. And I think loads more people have been exposed to it than ever before. And I just like the way that it's really getting its image, probably because Michelle Pfeiffer is so famous now. That a lot of people yeah. have gone back and revisit her, her younger work that probably weren't alive when this came out. There's so many aspects of this film I like. I like the castings. I like the fact that we get a lot of gay icons in here with Tab Hunter and Lona Loft and Connie Stevens. They were massive gay icons Mm -hmm. before this movie came out. And the LGBT community has really grabbed on to Greece too, more than Greece. I don't know if you're aware that Tab Hunter was a 1950s Hollywood movie star. He was like that beach hunk. And he got kind of like, there was speculation that he was gay. He actually was gay. He had a love relationship with Anthony Perkins, um, Norman Bates from oh. Psycho. Hmm. And um, they had this, people were speculating because they're always with each other and they're in the press together yeah. and stuff. And then publicly, Anthony Perkins got married to a girl and didn't tell him. And it was all kind of like a bit of a massive hot mess. There's a really good documentary on it called Tab Hunter Confidential. I think it's free on Amazon Prime. Go and watch it. It's fantastic. It really teaches you a lot about Hollywood in the 1950s. And um, I really like Michelle Pfeiffer in the role. I think she is great. I find Maxwell Crawford completely dreamy. He's Uh, got proper, like, James Dean vibes going on, hasn't he? Oh, he has. He has. Do you know what this film was originally supposed to be called? It wasn't supposed to be called Grease 2. They were playing around with two titles. One One was more Grease. Yes. And the other title they were going to play around with, Son of Greece. And... Which does not make sense. He no. really wanted to go back to that title, didn't he? Maxwell Caulfield really pushed yeah. to go back to that title, which makes no sense. Because no. it's set two years later. There is mm. no... The only familiar collection, connection we've got is that Michael is Sandy's cousin. Although yep. I think in early drafts, Johnny was was written as Danny's cousin too. So the leader of the T-Birds yep. was the cousin of, of Danny Zuko, but that's not actually referenced in the final movie. So that either got cut or they just dropped it and didn't bother making a thing of it. Why would you call it Son of Greece when there's it's not a generation below? You'd need to have it set at least 15 years later. Yeah. Which they could have done because obviously it was set in the late 50s in 1978. Yeah. They could have said, okay, well, let's set it now. Mm. Let's set it in the 80s and call it Son of Greece. But I don't think that was ever the intention. I think it was always written 
yeah. as being set a couple of years later. So, well, the original, the originally, their plan for uh, Greece Free was supposed to be uh, more of a. They were going to change the period of time to the set, late sixties, early seventies, and do more like hippie music and focus like like a mm. hair kind of musical. And yeah. I think that's what they should have done with it. Instead of that, it's set too close. You know, I think if they jumped it a bit further and beefed out the character a bit more and even made like Sandy the headmistress or Frenchie the headmistress of the school or something. Yeah. And then kind of like did that as kind of like 10 years later because they could have done that with the characters. They could have released it in the same time period, but they could have set it in the 70s. The characters could have been 10 years older, you know. I think that was, I think the problem with the movie is that that's my biggest gripe with this, one of my biggest gripes with this movie is that the target audience that Greece was aimed at was now too old to be having the time to focus to go to see Greece too. And it's just kind of like, it's too close. The age gap between the period of drama is too close for my liking. They should have done the 10 year jump. I think if you're going to make it such a short time period between the movies, Mm-hmm. There needs to be more of a connection to the original. I yeah, think my the original my part. issue with it narratively, it doesn't make sense. And okay, it's a movie musical, and so the, the, you can expect a slight detachment in terms of the narrative. And we've talked about yeah. this in other movie musicals, particularly in you know Love Never Dies. The narrative is a hot mess, but in narratively, it doesn't work to yeah. say okay, this is two years after the events of that movie, and yet no one references the previous generation of T-Beds or Pink Ladies, even though one of them is in the movie. There's no kind of... We talk about Sandy, but only at the very beginning to explain that connection. There's no... um, And there would have been a No one talks about Danny. Exactly. These kids would have been freshmen Mm -hmm. when the first film was happening. So they would have known. We don't really know how you managed to become a a pink lady or a T-bird, whether that you're chosen by the outgoing kind of cohort. You know, there's that line at the beginning of Greece where Rizzo says, you know, we're, we're seniors and we're going to rule the school. Well, that suggests they were already the pink ladies and the T-birds before summer break, before yeah. their final, before their senior year. So how does that handover happen? And there's just no no recognition of the fact that, you know, why would they not talk about Sandy and Danny and Rizzo and Kanicki. Why have their hangouts changed so drastically in two mm. years? They don't go to the burger place anymore. They're at the bowling alley. They're not interested in cars. It's all about bikes. Even the the opposing gang, the Scorpions, have turned into I can't remember what they're Bikers. called, like the biker dude, but with the same the same gang leader. But suddenly yeah. they're all about bikes rather than cars in the space of two years doesn't make yeah. sense they'd have been much better having it 10 15 years later it could have been their kids generation or it doesn't even need to be their kids generation mm. five years later would allow more time yeah for that generation to have been forgotten and yeah we hang out in different places now and and the focus has changed and we've you didn't need to have the same uh leader of the opposing gang it didn't need to be crater face it it to me, it jarred that it was Craterface because I was like, well, he he's not from this movie. He's from the other movie. Yeah. So, yeah, narratively, it, it doesn't make sense. But it is a musical. So we can kind of, it's a lot easier to put that kind of narrative aside and, and the need for the logic through the narrative to kind of go to one side. I mean, there's quite a lot I like about this film. Um, yeah. I like that the cast is uh, 
much more age close to their characters than in the first movie. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, true. it's a relative term. It, that is 23 year olds playing teenagers, but that's still more realistic than 28, 29. I mean, Stockard Channing was nearer 33. I think she was 33, 34 when she made Greece. Yeah. So 23 year olds playing teenagers is much more believable. So mm-hmm. I'm, I like that. I like that the, the pink ladies seem to have a lot more agency in this yeah. movie. Well, um, it's, it's more their story than the first film it is. Like yes, this. absolutely, absolutely. Mm. But they they are less happy to just kind of fall into their, okay, we're the pink ladies, even though a, a big part of the premise of the movie is they're pink ladies, therefore they have to date T-Birds. Yeah. Stephanie, the thing that drives the, the plot of this movie is that Stephanie doesn't want to be bound by that rule. No. She She wants to... She doesn't want to date a T-bird just because she's supposed to date a T-bird. She clearly has no interest in dating Johnny. And then Paulette is, I feel really bad for her actually, because she's kind of picked up and put down and picked up and put down by Johnny. But I do like that by the end of the movie, she's like, do you know what? Screw you. If you don't want me, then don't have me. She's she Early on, she is very like, a little lapdog to him but by the end of the movie you find she's found a bit of confidence in herself um and she does tell him to to get stuffed on the flip side of that you've got Dolores who's desperate to become a pink lady and I think they ended up cutting the scene but there is a scene where she stuffs her bra so that she looks more grown up so that she can date a t-bird that's still going on so uh, you know let's not pretend this is a progressive movie no but but we're getting there but the end of the movie, she settles up with Davy, who is a T-bird and about five, six years older than her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's a little bit groovy. Because she, yeah. Because she stuffed her bra in a scene that was cut. But I think it was him that helps her stuff. His, yeah, that's, that is a bit groomy. She says, oh, I'm going to be on Mrs. T-bird. And I'm like, but is a T-bird supposed to be 18 and she's supposed to be like 12 or 13? I'm a bit like, what is this age difference? Well, she's talking about wanting to become a, a pink lady when she gets to high school, isn't she? So that would suggest that she's still in middle school. Yes. Which I think it varies what age that happens. But yeah, that's like 12, 13 years old. Tops, yep. I think in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and these T-birds, certainly the ones that we see in the movie, are seniors, I presume, yeah, because we see 18. graduation. At the yeah. end. So, the yeah, this is a 13-year-old and an 18-year-old, and that's not okay. No. So, yeah, let's not, you know, I'm not saying this movie is an example of healthy relationships. <laughs> I'm just saying it's better than the first one. That's yeah. that's all. It's progress. One of the things I really like about this movie, and I don't think it's necessarily intentional, but it to me it kind of gives off real B-movie vibes. Oh, yes. It, we both separately wrote down in our notes that it's like, to me, this was like if Richard O'Brien had written Grease, yeah. this is the movie you would have got. It's got that shock treatment, Rocky horror. I mean, the style of music, when I've been listening back to the soundtrack separately from watching the film, there are real echoes of shock treatment in it, in terms of the style oh. of music, in terms of the the production values as well. The The voices are not as polished as in Greece, and that works for me. I quite like it in much the same way as in in Rocky Horror and in Shock Treatment. They're not, you know, they can all sing, but they, it's not a polished, heavily yeah. produced performance in in the soundtrack recording. It is slightly rough around the edges, and 
the music is a lot more um I suppose earthy if that's a thing oh that's nicer I was gonna say amdram but okay earthy. <laughs> <laughs> rustic Rustic. If it was a cake, it would be described as rustic. Your local um, town hall production of Grease is actually Grease too. But I liked that. Yeah. But it cost $11 million is the thing. And I, I think for all you were saying earlier on, it, it, it's, it takes itself less seriously than Grease. I think you're right. But yeah. I also, I don't think it realised that it was a B-movie. I yeah. think if it... I suppose if it had leaned into that, it would have alienated the Grease audience even more. But I... I guess that's maybe how it's ended up getting that cult following that it's got now. Yeah. Um, this feels like a good time to talk about the soundtrack. So, um, yeah, so I've really enjoyed listening back over the soundtrack. I like almost all of the songs. Um, my favourite track, I think, is probably Back to School Again. I love Cool... Everyone loves Cool Rider. I think everyone who who likes Grease 2 loves yes. Cool Rider. Um, so that kind of goes without saying. Putting that aside, I think probably the track I would pick as my top track is probably Back to School Again. I quite like it. it it's quite a different vibe from the rest of the soundtrack, but I, I really enjoyed it. It kind of got me in the right frame of mind because you go straight in there with a nice opening number. It's got the four tops in it, for God's sake. Don't know how that happened. So yeah, I really like that one. I'm going to ask you what your favourite is. I think I know what your favourite is. And then I'm going to say something that you might you're always, not like. You, you, you always assume you know what I like all because the time. Because we talk about it before we record. <laughs> we, believe it or not, listeners, we prepare for this podcast. <laughs> What's your favourite song off the soundtrack, Michael? It has to be reproduction. Thank you. That's exactly what. And you know what? I I remember liking it as a kid because you don't really. It kind of goes over Where your head and it's funny. Yeah, you kind of go, oh well, I know it's a bit rude and it's a bit funny, so I like it. I to me that song, Where that whole scene is unnecessary. I don't really understand why it's in the movie. Because Grease movies are fucking horny. There were just well, two yes. horny movies, and this is a yes. song about being horny, but educationally yeah. horny, because they're teaching you, like, <laughs> it's okay that you, you teenagers just talk about fucking all the time, because birds and bees do it, and the plants do it, and everybody fucking does it to reproduce. So it's okay, you're all right to watch this film as a teenager and be horny. And that's what the song says. It's okay to be horny for anything or anyone. Okay. As long as it's legal, you're fine. <laughs> yes. Yes. Legal and fully consensual. Yes. Be as horny as you like. Exactly. On the subject of which, let's do it for our country. That song's harder to watch now than it was when I was a kid. No, but it's so date rapey as well. It's like, I'm going to take you I mean. into. And that's another thing that really winds me up is that scene is set. In, I always thought that scene was set at the school, like they had a bunker at the school, but then there's a whole scene when Michael is writing the test papers in there, and then somebody comes in and goes, Oh, it's my uncle's bunker. Your uncle is Sandy's father. So they've all been, so the pink ladies and the T birds have gone to Sandy's house, and still <laughs> no one has pointed out. Sandy, who? My... <laughs> Who's Sandy? Never heard of her. I'm a little bit like, but why, why are you there? And you still have an I issue with him. I love that's your takeaway from this scene. Well, it's a bit date rapey because they can't. Like... It's very date rapey. It's very, I, yes. This is what I mean. Like, watching it from watching it as a kid, and like you, I've, I watched it a fair bit as a kid. And reproduction and let's do it for our country are the two songs that stick in your head when you're a preteen or an early teen because you're horny. Yeah, because you're. <laughs> 
preteen, I don't think I was ever so horny. But you're aware of, of that whole thing. Yes. And so they stick in your mind and you, oh, it's a bit funny because it's about sex. And then you watch it as a 43-year-old and you go, oh, no, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is essentially getting consent by deceit. And, I mean, in, and he doesn't get the consent in the end and she leaves. And that's so I like that. But, it, you know... He was I don't understand the to costume to her to get her to sleep with him. But there's also a random co- costume change in the bunker where she puts on a nurse's hat and stuff. And I'm like, why is there a nurse's hat in there? Because they're horny. <laughs> but why is the horny uncle, teenagers why like has, nurses' outfits? Why, why has the uncle got the horny nurses' outfit? And horny the... <laughs> uncles like nurses' outfits. <laughs> random. I'm like, if they all get in that bunker together, I guess there's a nuclear war. But it's also quite um, the girl who plays in that scene. I've forgotten the actress's name. She's also Lois Lane's sister in the Supergirl movie. What was the Is sequel she? to this? Yes, we'll have to cover that oh. one because it's a sequel. And on interestingly, on the movie. soundtrack, she does not feature because she was sick the day that they recorded that song who or something. The song? Um, it's just him. There's no oh. female voice in that song on the soundtrack album. What? Is they didn't that... reschedule. Oh. They didn't go, oh, she's sick, so let's record it another day. They just made it without her. <laughs> didn't get so, anyone in. So, so they just got it... him to sing the whole thing, a duet about shagging to himself. Masturbation. And then, so the soundtrack And then she then song. had to re-record her stuff for the movie separately, but they still didn't put it on the soundtrack. Well, that's random. Why didn't they just do that? Because obviously she didn't sing that live. They must have recorded that for... Yeah. That's so random. But if you dig out the soundtrack, there's no female voice in that song. It's just him. Weird. But this is... the So the thing with this movie, there's a lot in it I like, but the horniness is just too much for me. I don't... If you took took that element out... Yeah. I think you'd have a decent movie left. There would be no movie left, Claire. It's basically about a bunch of horny teens. Well, yes, no, I really, no, but you've got the love story. You can have the love story without the the whole um, reproduction, let's do it no, for our country, no. going all the way. Because this, this is the whole point of it. Is, Am I being really prudish? Is, you're is being really stage prudish I'm because at? I don't see removing that's going to remove anything. I think it's going to just take the heart out of the show or the film, shall I say. Mm. I think I was t- I'm sick and tired of people putting heterosexual relationships on film and then going, oh, it's not sex orientated, but it's still sex orientated. The end of every Disney film is still sex orientated. Cinderella's yeah. still going to shag. Sleeping Beauty's still going to shag. There's no, no, it's not, <laughs> no, it's not true. No matter what okay. way you look about it, I, I take your love, point. I take your love point. still moves to shagging, no matter what way you look about it. Yeah. And by. Okay. Removing it, you're just trying to make it PG thirteen. But I well, it is. It... This is, but it is PG thirteen. Right, this making... movie is a PG thirteen. Okay, you're gonna make it into a U or like you know everyone an E, whatever they have around the world. But I take it so you won't be showing your kids the Grease movies anytime soon. No, no. <laughs> I think I think actually that's the issue. I am being a little bit prudish because I think it's the fact that it's a PG thirteen. Yeah. That then makes all the horniness great with me, and obviously. I don't know what the American grading system was like back then, but in the UK, mm. there was nothing between PG and 15 in no. the early 80s. Yeah. So I can appreciate that this movie does not need to be a 15. No. But it it could do with maybe not being 
a PG. Most PG movies that come out now, I would put on for my kids without pre-watching. Yeah. This movie, obviously, if I put this on without pre-watching, I would be mortified because so much of the the content is is not suitable for my eight-year-old. Yeah. Because he would kind of understand enough to find it really weird. Yeah. And then not understand most of it. Um, so maybe that's my issue with it was is actually not that that they shouldn't be so horny. It's just that they shouldn't be in a PG movie. I think if it if it came out today, I guess it would be a 12A, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, 100% it would be. And that that would probably sit a bit better for me. There's one aspect of it that I really did like is is I really like the superhero element of the film. I like the fact that Michael was given this. That he had this alter ego. And this alter ego. It's the Clark Kent Superman thing, isn't it? Yeah, and he even referenced Superman in it. And I I really like that aspect of it because it was a step away from the original movie because, Mm. and the fact of it is that, I also like the fact that the boy had to change for the girl and not the girl, because mm. all these other movies, always girls change to be with the boys. And this is what happens well, the here's the one. thing. Here's the thing that it, that a lot of people say that as a criticism of Greece, that they don't like Greece because um, Sandy gives up everything about herself to become what Danny wants her to be. Yeah. And I think that's an unfair assessment, because actually, if you pay attention to the movie, you will see that Danny does just as much to change himself for her because yeah. he doesn't know that she's going to do all of this. He, he, I don't know what the term for it is in America. He, he, I was, I'm going to have to say qualifies. That's not the word that they use in America, but he, he passes track, doesn't he? He becomes a yeah. letterman mm-hmm. because he, that's what he thinks she wants. wants. Yeah. He, you know, he, he does, he works harder. He does better in class. He improves himself to become the guy that, she deserves and even at the end of the of the movie she's saying to him i've yeah i've done all of this for you but you need to be the man i need you to be you need to be the man i deserve you better shape up yeah i'm not just going to accept you as you are so i do think that's a slightly unfair criticism of greece when people say oh and sandy changed everything for danny and danny didn't do anything for her because that's not true but i do agree that it's nice in this movie but that- it's such a drastic change because at the end of the- greece too Michelle Pfeiffer wants both of them. She wants a geeky man, but she also wants this edge yeah. of the seat cool rider. Well, at the end of Greece, her character has gone a complete 360 because Absolutely. at the front, she's this sweet, innocent virgin in a little kind of like petticoat dress and stuff. And by the end of it, she's yeah. sewing herself into leather pants and can't move. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a complete 360 where Michelle's char- Michelle Pfeiffer's character does not change at all. She's a very strong, independent woman. Yes. And yes. stands her own girl. And actually, Michael's character doesn't change either. No. He, he just did. brings out a side of himself. Yeah, but he also, he he gives the person he, who he's in love with the fantasy she desires. Yes. He's doing it for her. He's not it's, saying... It just I'm all comes back my... to being horny. Yeah, but the thing is, he, he doesn't change his personality. He's still Michael, and he wants yeah. to tell he wants to tell her that this is Michael, but he's willing to give her this sexual fantasy that she wants of being kidnapped, and then she realised that she could have both of these. Yeah. I'm telling you now, then she would have a fucking amazing sex life after this movie, because she would be like, I want cool rider, I want geeky guy. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. That role play must have been strong in that bedroom at the and end of this movie. pretty kids as well. Oh, yeah. 
really blonde, very blonde. They pop out some attractive children. <laughs> I don't think that's the point of the movie, is it? I don't think we're no. supposed to be. That's where the pollen goes. <laughs> so, uh, Claire. Yes. This movie has gone from being a box office bomb to being quite loved by quite a lot of people, so even to the point that it was turned into a stage musical. It's been turned into... Yes. Do you know that I... Sorry, I completely forgot that I was going to talk about the show because actually one of the things that that I felt about this movie is that maybe it would work better as a show where the yeah. first movie was a show to start with and became a movie off the back of the success of the show. Mm. This movie was an original movie. There wasn't a stage show for this before, but then it's become a stage show, which I have not seen and I don't know it particularly well, but I, I part of me does wonder if it works better in that kind of live stage environment than maybe it does as a big screen Movie. Well, the version that was in London that was only run for a very small period of time was called Cool Rider. Mm. Um, and it was my very, very, very stripped back. It was more like a concert performance of the show than it was an actual kind of like West, like a whole Broadway production of it. Um, there has been an American tour of the show as well called Grease 2. So I don't know, the one in Britain was slightly different. I don't think, I think they're made by very different people. I think probably they had couldn't use the term Grease 2 in the because that's probably copyrighted by Paramount. So when they've got the But it's the same up, songs, isn't it? It's the same the music same from song. the movie I don't in know the show. How, yeah, I'm not quite sure how but it must be an authorized adaptation. Yes, exactly. Or maybe even a spoof version. I didn't get a chance to see it when it was out. So but we are getting what's coming out on Paramount Plus on April the 6th. A Pink Ladies TV series, what I'm excited yes. for. Yes, quite excited for that. So it, like, I'm quite excited because I thought they were going to do a straight TV series, but apparently it's a musical TV show. It's going to get depth, like, go back into the depths of the Pink Ladies. So it's quite interesting for me because like, it, that settles along more of the lines of Grease too than it does for Grease, to focus on mm. the Pink Ladies more than the T-Birds. So I think that would be quite an interesting show to watch. And that comes out on April the 6th, guys, on Paramount Plus, if you want to sit and watch it. Looking get, forward to it. You get Paramount Plus in the UK. Yes, I think you can get it as a, a bolt-on to Amazon Prime. Oh. I don't know if you have to have Amazon Prime first yeah. to get Paramount Plus or whether you can buy it as a separate thing. But yes, it, you can get it in the UK. Awesome. So, Claire, how yes. many cool riders would you give Grease to? I'm going to give it three out of five. Mm. It's like quite, yeah, it's, it, it's not perfect. There's no. a lot that could be changed. There's a lot that could be improved. Um, and I'm not sure there's quite enough to it to, to make it hold together as a great movie or even as a great sequel. But as a, a kind of like continuation of the story as something to sit back and enjoy as a soundtrack to listen to. I think there's a lot to like in there. So yeah, for me, three out of five. How about you? I would give it three and a half out of five. Like it's not mm. a perfect film. It's a guilty pleasure. I know a lot of people don't like that term, but for me, it's a guilty pleasure. You watch it, you realize how crap it is when you watch it, but you can't help but enjoy. It's up there yeah. with like 
Mamma Mia for me. It's kind of like got that. I think I would rather watch this than. Oh, I don't know. I do like Mamma Mia. I'm being snobby when I say bad things about Mamma Mia. I didn't enjoy Mamma Mia. Here we go again. That's <gasps> maybe something for a future episode. Oh my episode. god! That's I know. It's it's I so know. much of a better film than Mamma Mia is. It's you so think? good. Yes, big okay, time. Okay, well, well, let's put a pin in that. Next time we do a musicals round, we'll uh, well, we we'll check in on that because one. it's not unloved. It's got higher ratings. It's unloved not... by me. I don't think that you are the general public, Claire. <laughs> Apparently that's not enough to make it qualify. So sorry, guys, if you were hoping for a Mamma Mia hit too, here we go again episode. It's and not going to happen. Oh, shucks. <laughs> so, but yeah, I would no, certainly I... watch Grease 2 over Mamma Mia 2. I love it. I think it's great fun. I think it's a guilty pleasure. And um, I'm glad that it's getting the recognition that it deserves now. Yeah, me so, too. Let's hope for. Um, I would happily go to a um, double feature midnight showing of Shock Treatment and Grease 2. That would be fun. I thought you were going to say Grease and Grease 2. Shock Treatment and Grease 2. I don't think you'd get that big of a crowd. I'm not sure there's much crossover. Who said they might want just a crowd? be us? That's fine. I'm happy <laughs> just with you that. and me. <laughs> yeah. But guys, you would you me. like a tour of the states of unloved sequels with me and Claire hosting Shock Treatment and Grease 2? Let us know. <laughs> Nobody wants that, Michael. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants that. It's just you. It's just you. Heartbreaking. Well, that is Grease 2 for you. Listeners, please take a moment to rate us and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes and tell us what you thought of Grease 2. You can leave us a comment. You can email us on unlovedsequels at gmail.com and you can find us on all the socials at unlovedsequels. So until next time, it's goodbye from me, Michael. And from me, Claire. Take care, guys. Bye. Can I speak to you, Miss McGee? Yes, dear. What about? I'm a little worried. I've missed my last two periods. That's all right, dear. You can make them up after school. Where does the pollen go? 